My name's Dave Palmer. Uh, I get to uh, lead our church's ministry to university students. C- come a little closer, guys. I can, I'm going to sit on this. This is from, uh, I'm going to read us a picture book this morning. Does that sound okay to everyone here? Parker, does this, do you recognize this one? Yeah, all right. This story is called The Man Who Couldn't See. We'll wait till all of our friends are able to join us. Welcome, you guys. I think the pictures are pretty big, so I think we'll be pretty good up here. All right. <clears throat> it goes like this. Poor Bartimaeus. His eyes were sick. He couldn't see the sun. He couldn't see the trees. He couldn't see the houses. He couldn't see people. But Bartimaeus could hear. And one day... He heard lots of people walking, step, step, step. He heard lots of people talking, talk, talk, talk. What is happening? asked Bartimaeus. What is happening? Well, some people can talk but not see, just like Bartimaeus. It's Jesus, somebody said. Jesus is coming down the road. We're all walking with him. It's Jesus, Bartimaeus said to himself. Jesus can make my eyes well. Jesus, he called, help me. Jesus, help me. Now, lots of people were making noise walking. Lots of people were making noise talking, but... Jesus heard Bartimaeus anyway. And Jesus stood still. What do you want me to do for you? He asked kindly. Lord, said Bartimaeus, I want to see again. What do you think Jesus said? Okay, that's a good answer. Well, I'll tell you what Jesus said. He said, okay. (laughs) Yes, he said, you may see, he told Bartimaeus. And all at once, Bartimaeus saw the sun. Bartimaeus saw the trees. Bartimaeus saw the houses. Bartimaeus saw the people. But best of all, Bartimaeus saw Jesus. And what do you think was on Jesus' face when Bartimaeus first saw him? I think he had a big smile too. Jesus, thank you that you love us. Thank you that you listen to us, that you hear our prayer, and that you desire for us to see in all ways, Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, my friends, you can head back to your seat. Thanks for sharing a story with me this morning. I got to stay up here, Malls. I'll see you in a little bit. Here, do you want to go back with Parker, sweetie? Carl, do you mind taking this back to my seat? Thank you. It is possible to see and still be blind 
and to not be able to see and yet be able to see. This is a paradox that we'll get to engage this morning. Leading up to this encounter with Jesus, we're doing this uh, series uh, we call Close Encounters with Jesus, where we're looking at key passages in the Gospels of Jesus, these historical accounts that eyewitnesses recorded about the life of Jesus. These accounts included many encounters with people coming and experiencing the person of Jesus in the flesh. And this morning's encounter um, comes from Mark 10. But leading up to this encounter that we'll look at this morning, Jesus has an interaction with James and John, a couple of very close disciples, followers of Jesus, men that literally left their vocation to uh, follow, walk after Rabbi Jesus as an itinerant um, teacher in the um, region of Galilee. These uh, men followed him. They were his disciples. And so they were the ones that would have been most savvy to the teachings and the way of Jesus. That was their vocation was to learn it. And these uh, men in this encounter um, have a a remarkable encounter with Jesus. Um, It's remarkable because of uh, how foolish it looks to us now, um, but how obvious perhaps it was at the time. And if you remember, if you happen to remember that I preached before, um, a while ago, I actually looked at this passage, and James and John come to Jesus, and they say, Jesus, because they're putting the pieces together, that Rabbi Jesus, their guy is the winning horse when it comes to the Messiah race, and they have front row seats to the new administration of the true king of Israel. And when your friend is about to become president, you want to align yourself in a strategic way in the new administration, do you not? And so James and John come to Jesus and say, I hear there's two empty seats to your right and to your left. May we occupy them in the new kingdom. And Jesus of course, teaches them, uh, uh, James, John, you're seeing things incorrectly. True greatness is not about lording over people. True greatness is to be a servant. I believe that we are, uh, well, I believe that Mark is setting the table for Jesus to teach his disciples something about seeing things correctly, about their own spiritual blindness and true spiritual vision. And that leads us up to Mark 10, this passage. And this is the NIV version, not the Bible story version. And I think the Bible story version is actually pretty good. The only correction is that Jesus' skin looks awfully a lot like mine and not like a Middle Eastern man. But other than that, it's pretty fantastic. Okay, so here we go. This is Mark 10. Then they came to Jericho and Jesus and these This crowd of disciples are on their way to Jerusalem. Imagine the expectation, right? What's going to happen when they get there? But here they are on their way to to Jericho. This is a very important journey. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When I think about this scene, I think about like if Jesus were to grab lunch with a bunch of us, maybe on the west end of Pearl Street, and he's walking towards the bus station, passing the courthouse, and one of the, what uh, seems like a local resident who lives in front of the courthouse starts shouting, Jesus! Somebody that everyone's seen before uh, living on the street who 
is asking for money most often, but this time he shouts this. He says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called the blind man, cheer up, on your feet, he's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. And Jesus asked Bartimaeus the exact same question that he asked James and John when they approached him for a favor. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. What we know about Bartimaeus is that he is physically blind. And also it seems that there is a, a, a class, a social order dynamic in this moment. Bartimaeus is somebody that can't see and that the people that can see don't see. He's just a fixture of the streets, someone who asks for money. Perhaps in many people's worldview, cursed because of sin, which is why he might be blind. Somebody to pass along the way, somebody to navigate around on your way out of town for an important journey. But Jesus hears and sees Bartimaeus in a way that nobody else does. What do you want me to do for you? is the question that Jesus asked Bartimaeus. And I believe a question that he would ask to us if we were to stop him. And Bartimaeus replies, I want to see. I think it's a pretty good answer. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. Bartimaeus now sees this whole world he's never seen before. He sees Jesus and he's choosing to be a disciple of Jesus. I believe that we are meant to see the difference between the spiritually blind disciples and probably us. And by probably, I mean and us. And the once physically blind beggar who is now on the road to true spiritual vision. Jesus is always more than his miracles. And he points this out several times. Like, you keep on coming to me for free food. I'm more than just like a food distribution program. I am the bread of life. Right? I am the true shepherd. So Jesus heals to reveal the power of the kingdom um, in, the, in his own power as the son of God. But he always does it to point to something more important. And in this instance, 
he is doing so profoundly. Our vision, this, Jesus is concerned about our vision. Our vision creates a picture of what we call reality that shapes the way we relate to everything and how we behave. Our vision, how it, uh, our physical vision does this, creates a picture of reality. And with it, we use it to navigate the world that we see and determines the way that we behave. Does that make sense? From a conceptual. So I'm seeing right now, and I can see that there's a step in front of me, which informs me that if I take two steps forward, my lower back is going to go out when I come down. So I'm not going to do that, right? Our vision helps us paint a picture of reality. But our vision is painted, there's more than just physical vision, isn't there? There's more to see than just with our eyes. And the amazing thing about uh, humanness, our consciousness, is we have emotional vision, relational and spiritual vision. We make sense of the world more than just like reptiles do and flies. This is really cool. And so the way we construct reality, our vision is essential it's essential. One might argue it's the, most, it's the most essential filter for our consciousness, our, our, the way we navigate the world. In fact, Jesus says this in Matthew 6. He says, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. When we see, when we perceive reality correctly as it actually is, we will inherently be healthy, full of light. When we don't see things as they really are, when we have a construed vision or version of reality, our body will be full of darkness, Jesus says. False vision, friends, is disastrous. When we live on the premise of a reality that isn't true, we will make decisions that are disastrous. We can think of small examples, but a big example that's profoundly shaping our world right now is the war in Ukraine, which as best as I can tell, a war of at least one man with lots of power who believes that the administration of Ukraine is run by neo-Nazis. Now, this seems like a basic contradiction of reality because Vladimir Zelensky is a Jewish man. And I, I do not understand how you can be both Jewish and a neo-Nazi. How important it is that we see things, reality, for what it really is. It is also possible, I think, for us to have right theology, to have what we think is a proper construct of the world in our mind, but still have bad sight. I think you can make a compelling case that the Pharisees the number one target of Jesus' critique were people that when you asked them the way things were, 
would have provided a mostly accurate biblical version of reality and the way to act. They were experts on the moral law. And in fact, Jesus at one point says, you must, your righteousness must exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees. And yet Jesus calls the Pharisees blind guides. So it is not enough for us to say, I have good theology. I have good biblical knowledge. I understand the word of God. And so therefore, I am a righteous person. Those (laughs) that could say that the most profoundly in the first century, Jesus called blind guides. The health or accuracy of our vision affects our entire person. So, here's the big question for us this morning. How do we see with true vision? I believe that Bartimaeus shows us first the posture of how to come to true vision, and then Paul teaches us how to continue in it in Galatians 5. So, let's take a look at Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus, I believe, we are meant to see as the hero in this story. He's a guy that most of us would have considered a zero before, but in the way that he is, uh, uh, calls out to Jesus, which like, I, can, I can empathize with that, when you're desperate, you're desperate, and also is commended for his faith, he's a hero. Bartimaeus calls Jesus this, son of David, Messiah. Bartimaeus correctly identifies Jesus as the Savior, the only one that can do something about the problem at hand. A lesson for us. He says, have mercy on me. So Jesus, Bartimaeus comes to Jesus, first properly recognizing his lordship, and then coming with him, coming to him with a spirit of humility. Interestingly, I think his humility um, is profoundly enlarged compared to the humility of the people who are supposed to be his disciples around him. Have mercy on me. I don't know how often you use that, that, that word mercy in your prayers, but the, the times that I've used that word mercy have been the times where I have felt like there was a situation that was complete desperation and I knew no path forward except a miraculous work of the Lord. Mercy, have mercy on me, son of David, calls Bartimaeus. And then he says, and in, the, in our translation, um, it just is translated um, rabbi, but he uses this Hebrew word um, rabunai, I think is how you pronounce it. It's a dead language, so you can't technically pronounce ancient Hebrew incorrectly because no one really knows how to pronounce it. So the next time your preacher says, this is how you say it in Hebrew, you can just be like, you don't know. All right? I don't know is what I'm trying to say. But anyway, all it to say, this special word for rabbi is a word that is um, almost exclusively used in the, in the Jewish scriptures in direction to God himself. Not just human rabbi, the guy that knows the Bible really but well, but the one rabbi, the one who is the source of wisdom and truth itself. It's a word that Jews would have used in prayer towards God. And here, Bartimaeus is using it to direct towards Jesus, saying, like, you're not just a rabbi, you're the rabbi. And so, here we see um, Bartimaeus, the posture of Bartimaeus is this. He's saying, merciful God, who is Savior 
and wisdom. I need you to see. This is the posture that we must take if we're going to have true spiritual vision, I believe. Merciful God, who is Savior and wisdom, I need you to see. True vision does not originate from the created. Now, this is a bit of, a, of an existential jump here. If you are a spiritual skeptic, I think this is probably perhaps um, one of the harder jumps towards faith. If, I would postulate this, if there is a God who created all things, then truth is something that is transcendent, that is definitive of God himself, rather than something that is self-created from within. We live in a moment in culture, in time, where truth is understood to be something that is created from within. There is no transcendent truth, and if there is, it's not interested in defining it for us. And so we are told to find our own truth, to be true to ourselves, that the best we can do is to create our own personal construct of the world in order to understand the way things work and for self-fulfillment. And this might be the hardest jump. Because the gospel, Jesus says, that truth is not something that is from within, but it's something that's transcendent from without that can come within and guide you. Which is why Jesus in John 16 says to his disciples, but when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you in all the truth. And so we need to ask ourselves this question, do we believe this part? Is there truth that can guide you in the way of life? And if so, is it something that is already within you because of what you manufacture yourself? Or is it something that is transcendent, that is given to us by the one who is truth? And Jesus is making the case that this truth is transcendent, but is for you too. And we celebrate on Pentecost, right, this transcendent truth that hasn't stayed far away from us, but has made it home in us. Well, that's a different sermon, but very exciting. Okay. We understand perhaps the posture. It's humility. I do not have the truth myself. Savior, wisdom, come, help me to see. But that's just the first moment. How do we live with that vision? And that, I think, is the hard question of discipleship. And this is how Paul takes it up in Galatians 5. He says, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Maybe another way of saying, understanding truth from within. Paul would say, that's just your flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want, but you are led by the spirit, and you are not under the law. Okay, Paul, that sounds really cool. Okay, I'll be guided by the spirit, but not by my flesh. Okay, now, when do I know that it's the spirit and not the flesh, and the flesh and not the spirit. So, Paul, would you, this would be great if you could give us all a really succinct 
five-step guidebook on how to walk in the Spirit moment by moment, just give us a new construct so that we can be sure to be experts on this new spiritual philosophy that will govern our spiritual lives. Wouldn't that be great? But Paul doesn't do that. Instead, Paul connects back to the teachings of Jesus where Jesus says, you will know something by the fruit that it bears. You will know a tree by what sort of fruit it bears in season. And so instead of giving us a guidebook, which I think Paul knows, he's talking to a bunch of legalistic Christians. That's the whole premise of Galatians. They want to just obey the law. They're white-knuckling around rules. And Paul says, y'all don't need a bunch of rules. You need to understand and be wise to what bears what fruit. And so he offers us lists of these fruit. And so the first bucket of fruit, let's put that up, the first group, he offers these, fornication. He says, the fruit of the flesh is obvious. I love that. He's kind of like, is it obvious, Paul? Okay, this feels really obvious to me. Fornication, impurity, licentiousness, idolatry, sorcery. I mean, he includes sorcery. That's pretty epic. Drunkenness, carousing. And we're all looking at that list and thinking, well, my life, pretty good. I'm probably walking by the Spirit based on that. And then he comes to group two. Now buckle up. And then he says, these are the fruits of the flesh as well. Well, he doesn't say it quite like that, but I'm separating it so we can really highlight this. Strife. Jealousy. Anger. Quarrels. Dissensions. Factions. And envy. Those are the things that people whose eyes are not visioned by the Spirit produce in their life. Strife, jealousy, anger, quarrels, dissensions, factions, envy. And what's wonderful is there's no sort of like justifying those things. Like, well, of course I have a broken relationship with my sibling. They're wrong. (laughs) Of course I'm angry. There's an injustice in the world and I must perpetually be angry. Of course I undermine the leadership of the community that I'm in because I'm right and they're wrong. There's, There's no like massaging it. This is the fruit of the flesh. This is what we create in the world, in ourselves, and out of ourselves, when our vision is not true spiritual vision. And then he offers this. He says, but the fruits of the Spirit, those who walk by the Spirit, who see the same things that I see are this. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, Self-control. Friends, the, the fruits of the Spirit are not new moral aspirations or right theology for us to master. It's tempting for us to want to like say, okay, let's start dissecting these things and say, what is this and how do I live it? Which, I mean, these are virtues to live by, but that's not the point of Paul's lesson. 
Paul, I believe, wants us to see this. What are the things that you are producing? And this is going to require, require something called introspection, not knowledge. A, a self-awareness of who we are, what boils in our hearts and our minds. What motivates us to respond to the things and the people around us? And what do those things create? These fruits, I believe this, these fruits reveal how we see God, how we see ourselves, and how we see others. Now I get this is a wildly conceptual sermon. I've been working all week to make it less conceptual. And so this is the moment, if you are having a hard time understanding or caring about what I'm saying, this is the moment to re-engage, okay? I plea with you. Check this out. When our vision is guided by jealousy, our mind might see something like this. God has done a poor job of providing me the things that I need. God's kind of stingy which really makes me upset because that other person has the thing that I need. See how that is shaped, how our vision of who God is, who we are, entitled, and who somebody else is, they have it and I don't, creates something called jealousy. But if we see through the lens of generosity and we see that God and we believe that God is a God of abundance, And a God who will and promises to give us everything we need of the things that really matter when we need them. Then we are people who can be generous with the things we have and the things we don't have. The way we see God, the way we see ourselves, the way we see others. Dissensions. Perhaps we believe that God would rather have me retain my righteousness than to maintain these relationships. God's a righteous, holy God and cannot stand for incompetent people who are in charge or have sway. So I need to be the righteous person in the room and make my opinion known so everyone else knows what's right and I need to act accordingly in order for the right thing to come about, despite it breaking relationships. Do you see how that's framed by the way we see God? The way we see ourselves in self-righteousness? The way we belittle others in our vision of them? But instead, and this is, this is really the paradigm, the, the vision. If you're like, man, that's a lot of fruit to think about and a lot of things to, to consider in vision. This is a long, long road to walk, to see the way of Jesus, is it not? But I think that the, 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 the fruit, that if we're going to just camp on, Lord, help me to just see this way, is the way of love. God is love itself. The character of God is perfect Loving connection. God doesn't need us to be loved. He is love in his relationship with himself. And in all of creation, he has created order of perfect loving connection. And the purpose of Jesus and the gospel and the cross is to restore perfect loving connection in all things. It says this multiple times in the New Testament. 
that everything would be made one in Jesus. And what is the character of Jesus but love? And so, friends, shall we see the world through the lens of love? See God as, as love itself, each other as beloved. And each step that we take, each thing that we see shaped by that love itself. I would like to end, uh, Joe, do you want to come up? I'd like to end in a, just a time of prayer. We'll do uh, just a few minutes of reflective, contemplative prayer. And um, like I said, this is a fairly conceptual idea, but it doesn't do us much good if it's just some new ideas, sort of like reading a nice new book. This is a matter of the heart and requires us to be reflective and contemplative. And so let's just allow ourselves some space to think, to allow the Spirit to show us how he sees and where we can have new sight and vision in our own spiritual vision. So let's, let's uh, pray together. So God, we ask that we could come to you this morning in the same posture that Bartimaeus came to you, Lord. Seeking you as Lord and Messiah. Not just um, somebody with a quick fix, but somebody who is King of Kings. Somebody who is transcendent truth itself. Lord, we come in humility. Understanding that we have a need to see clearly because we are blind. Lord, when we read especially that second group of fruits of the flesh, there were things that popped out to us. Perhaps it was anger. Perhaps it was strife or dissension. So Rabbi Jesus, we ask that you would give us your eyes and heal our eyes so that we can truly see. Lord, first, would you allow us to see you who for who see you for who you truly are? Lord, help us to see you as love itself. Lord, all of you moves in the same direction in unity. There is no division in you, just oneness. Lord, help us to see with your eyes, your spiritual eyes, ourselves. Lord, we have not created ourselves and therefore get to create our own truth and reality, but mercifully we have been created, not just by a random God, but, but a God who is love and calls us your beloved, 
Lord, as your beloved, help us to see our belovedness in you. Sons and daughters worth dying for. And finally, Lord, help us to see our brothers and sisters even sitting next to us in this room this morning with your eyes. Lord, they too are the object of your unending love and affection. Sons and daughters worth dying for. Lord, help us to see one another with your vision. Lord, in our frustration and our desperation, we've created strife, dissension, disunity amongst our body here, Lord. Lord, have mercy. Give us your eyes to see one another the way that you see us, which will bring us into perfect unity by your spirit, which is one. Lord, in any of these places, the way we see you, the way we see ourselves, the way we see each other, if there are are places, and undoubtedly there are, where there is misalignment, where there's blindness to the way things actually are, Lord, we pray that you would do work by your spirit of truth in our hearts and in our life so that we could see the world as it really is and live as your disciple, live as Jesus. Lord, we thank you for the spirit, the spirit of truth that you've given us that we don't have to walk alone or in our own darkness, but we submit to its wisdom. So Lord, help us see as your children. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.